So this morning, uh, I'd like to start by asking you a quick question. How often do you stop to think about the value of water? I know for me personally, I don't think I do. Uh, In my home, if I need water, I've got access to it at the turn of the tap. I just turn the tap on, the water comes out, it's always there. Now, I try to be conscious about not wasting water. Um, I became a little bit more conscious recently when I got my latest water bill, which was decidingly a little bit larger than I would have liked. I have four teenagers in my house at the moment who like to take some very long showers. Uh, So we've resorted to uh, running a timer for them, but yet still I find myself kind of pounding on the door yelling, it's time to get out of the shower. Now, I can imagine that my teenagers would be a lot more conscious of how much water they were using if they actually had to go down to the local well to collect their water and carry it home in a bucket. Now, For us, that probably seems a little bit weird uh, in our world, but in countries right around the world, that would be a really normal way to get water. And if you take a look at this picture on the screen right now, uh, you can see what a well would have been like or is even sometimes in countries like today. And certainly in Jesus' time, that was exactly uh, the context of how they would have had to get water. Uh, And that's the context of the story that we're going to be looking at today. Um. We're going to be looking at John chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at a story that takes place beside a well, uh, and we're actually going to be realizing that water actually is incredibly valued. So let me just kind of set the scene for you. So Jesus and his disciples were traveling from Judea to Galilee. They traveled through Samaria, and they stopped at the town of Sychar. Now the disciples had headed into town to get some food, and a very weary and tired Jesus sits down next to a well where he has an encounter with a Samaritan woman, an encounter that would not only change this woman's life, but in fact the lives of her entire town. Um, And so let's pick up the story there in verse 7. So starting from verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So Jesus has asked her for a drink. And this woman's reply was one of absolute shock. Don't you know who I am? I'm a, I'm a Samaritan. I'm a woman. Why are you even speaking to me? Now, we need to understand the context of culturally what's happening here and how actually inappropriate that probably was. This woman would have been considered the lowest of lows. Uh, she was a woman who would have been quite poorly regarded simply because she was female. Um, and she was a Samaritan. And given that Jesus was a Jew, there was a real history of like or dislike or hate there. Um, so he shouldn't have been speaking to her, let alone even asking her for a drink. Now, another thing to consider is the fact that this woman was at the well drawing water by herself. Now, traditionally, women would have traveled to the well probably early in the morning in small groups to draw water, but this woman was here alone. And John actually notes that this encounter took place about noon. So the fact that this woman was there at the well by herself in the middle of the day drawing water might indicate that there could have been something else perhaps going on for her socially, that she potentially may have been some kind of social outcast as well. But despite all these boundaries, Jesus is willing to cross over them and he chooses to speak with her. Now, his reply was quick, witty and typically cryptic, uh, but also deeply profound. Uh, In verse 10, Jesus answers her, If you knew the gift of God 
and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So basically you were worried I didn't know who you were. Uh, If you'd known who I was, you'd have been asking me for a drink. Now at this point, the Samaritan woman was pretty confused, I think, about what Jesus was saying. Um, she probably had no idea what he was talking about. Other, other that, or she was being incredibly sarcastic because her reply in verse 11, where she says, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? So she's basically, how are you going to give me a drink? You don't even have a water jar. (laughs) Now Jesus begins to explain that he's not actually talking about the water from the well. So in verse 13, Jesus answers, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So now Jesus has gotten her attention. Never being thirsty again. Now imagine that. Now, getting water was hard work. If you have a look at this image coming up on the screen now, often the women would actually have to walk quite a distance to collect the water. The town wells were not always located near their home. And then they would have to carry it back in jars. So this is hard work. Um, So she's thinking if Jesus can offer her some water that's going to eternally clench her thirst and she's never going to have to carry water again, that's probably a pretty good deal. Now comes the big reveal. First, Jesus reveals that he knows exactly who she is. In verse 16, he told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Now, in truth, Jesus, knowing this about the woman, probably really only adds to reasons why he shouldn't have been speaking to her. Clearly, she was an an ungodly woman. Now, to be honest, this is probably uh, our first sneak peek uh, at the salvation that God was planning on bringing through Jesus. Um, It wasn't going to matter who you were or what your past was, because this new salvation that Jesus was about to reveal was going to be for everyone. Next, Jesus reveals who he is, something he actually hadn't done publicly in many circles yet, but he chooses to tell this woman, which was actually pretty unusual. So pick it up in verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. 
Now, it was really unusual for Jesus to be so open in revealing his identity like this. There was lots of times when the disciples asked him outright, who are you? And he neither confirmed nor denied anything, yet he was really transparent with this woman. Now, the woman's response to this big reveal actually isn't recorded. Maybe she was just too shocked to say anything at all. I've often imagined it would be like one of those moments in a movie where someone de- delivers a, a, rev- a revelation line that is so shocking that you can just hear a pin drop and it's just followed by silence. Maybe it was just because the disciples chose that very awkward moment to return uh, with the food, possibly not the best time to arrive. And they were obviously surprised to see Jesus speaking with a Samaritan woman, but they didn't question it on him. Now, the woman's next move was not surprising. She basically just leaves. If we pick up the story in verse 28, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So she immediately left what she was doing. She left a water jar, forgot why she was there, and she just bolted. Um, She went and found the first people she could, told them what had happened, and then she brings them back to meet Jesus. Now, before I unpack this story a little bit, I just want to bring your attention to two things that I actually found quite interesting. The first one. It is interesting to note that this story only appears in John's gospel. It's not in any of the others. The other thing that's interesting is that the woman in the story is never actually named. She's just called the Samaritan woman, yet despite her lack of identity, her encounter with Jesus is actually the longest documented account between Jesus and a single individual in the gospel of John. So clearly John has thought this was an important interaction. Now, if I can take you back to the start of our series for a moment, uh, when you remember that we actually took a brief look at how the Gospel of John ends. And if I can just get you to have a look at chapter 23, verse 31 with me for a moment, you'll see that John wrote at the end of the Gospel, But these things are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, this story, this encounter with this woman reveals exactly that. So it makes sense that John... Uh, if his purpose in writing the gospel was for people to be able to know and believe this, that he would have included this story. It's clearly a really important encounter. So what can we take from this encounter for ourselves today? Well, I think there's three things that really stand out, and I'd like to look at those with you now. So firstly, number one, the good news of salvation is for everyone. Now, this woman should have been the last person that Jesus spoke to. She was a woman. She was a Samaritan. She was immoral. She was possibly a social outcast. Yet, Jesus crosses all of those boundaries and chooses to speak with her despite of that. And she was um, saved because of it, and so was her town. Now, there's a real challenge for us, I think, as the church to not let boundaries stop us from sharing with others uh, or the chicken line, as we've come to call it here. Um, You know, we can't let that chicken line stop us from reaching out to others and sharing the gospel. Now, I don't believe that Jesus met this woman by chance. I think God planned for her to be there that day um, and there was a real purpose in what happened. It's also a really good example of what can happen when we allow God to work through us. Now, my role as an SRE teacher, you might think, well, you know, it's easy to share the gospel for you. I mean, it's my job, right, to go into the classroom and share the gospel with others. But the reality is that even in my role, that 
chicken line is still there. Because teaching the gospel in the classroom is one thing, but it's those opportunities to share with students outside the classroom or with staff members. Uh, that takes courage. That takes real courage. Now, something that I've found that really helps me is that if I actually pray and ask God to give me those opportunities. So sometimes just when I'm driving to school in my car, I'll, I'll say to God, God, just give me a chance today to share with someone. And those are the days, guaranteed, those are the days where I'll find a student upset in the corridor or I'll come across a staff member who's having a hard time and I'll get the opportunity to pray for them. God never fails uh, when I trust him to use me and to let me uh, have a an opportunity to share my uh, story or share his story with them. It is amazing what God can do if we let him work through us. The second thing I want to draw your attention to out of this encounter is that there is a real reminder here that salvation is actually through Jesus. Now, he offers us living water, eternal life. Now, a few weeks ago when we looked at um, the miracle where Jesus turned water into wine, uh, Jeff mentioned the significance of water. Water is used for washing and for cleansing. It's very symbolic. So it was no accident that Jesus used this metaphor when he talked of living water. He's taken an ordinary aspect of this woman's daily life, fetching water from a well, and then used it to point to an ultimate reality eternal life that was going to be gifted to us through Jesus. Now, you might have noticed in verse 12 that the Samaritan woman compared Jesus to Jacob. Um, knowing that Jesus was a Jew and, and knowing that Jacob was probably the most prominent Jewish figure of faith she probably was aware of, particularly because the location of her town uh, was near where Jacob had given land to his son Joseph, possibly why she made that comparison. But if I can get you to look at verse 13 for a moment with me, uh, you'll see that Jesus makes another comparison straight after that. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. He's referring to the old Abrahamic covenant um, that can't fulfill our spiritual needs. And then in verse 14, he then points to the new covenant uh, that would come through him when he says, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. The water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then again in verse 23, he talks about this new covenant when he says, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. He's talking about the Holy Spirit here. He's talking about a new access to God's presence that was going to come through Jesus. And if we can take a quick look uh, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, we actually see Paul confirm this new covenant that Jesus was talking about. When Paul writes, For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised internal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. So we now have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. We can be in the very presence of God because of Jesus. Now the third thing I want to draw your attention to that I think we can come uh, to a conclusion from this story is the importance of us being willing to share our testimony. Now, after see, receiving this revelation of who Jesus was, this woman's immediate reaction was to go and tell others what happened. Now, they too came back to see Jesus. Jesus ended up spending two days in the town with them and 
many in the town were saved because of her. Now, the Samaritan woman isn't actually mentioned again in the Gospels, but she does reappear uh, in some ancient Greek sermons that were written between the 4th and 14th centuries. And it would appear that her desire to share her experience with encountering Jesus went well beyond her own town. Um, some believe she went on to spend her entire life sharing her testimony with others and that many were saved because of her. Now, just like the Samaritan woman, we too have our own Jesus story. We've all encountered Jesus in some way. And whatever our story or experience is, there's power in sharing that story with others. A few weeks ago, the youth at Tumby Revolution were really blessed to have Irene, who many of you would know, join us on Zoom and share her amazing testimony with us. And afterwards, I was talking with my youngest son, who's 14, and he said to me something along the lines of, oh, I could never do that. I could never share my testimony with others because my testimony is boring. You know, I was born in a Christian home. I became a Christian. The end. Uh, And I said to him, look, you need to understand that your testimony is not just how you became a Christian. Your testimony is simply just a Jesus story. What's God been doing in your life lately? Um, We've all got those stories and there is a lot of power in us being willing to share them with others. So there's a real challenge there for us today. And if you don't mind, I'd actually like to finish by asking you to ask yourself a question. I started with a question and I'm going to finish with one as well. So can I ask you to ask yourself, what's my Jesus story? What's God been doing in my life lately? Because whatever your story is, that's the story that we can share with others. And if we can be willing to do that, if we can be willing to share our Jesus stories with other people, who knows what God can do with that? If we can allow God to speak to others through us, the possibilities are just endless. So let me pray and uh, then we'll finish. Lord God, I just want to thank you for loving us so unconditionally for loving us regardless of who we are, where we've come from, or of what we've done. I also want to thank you for sending Jesus, for sending this man that would offer us living water, offer us eternal life through his sacrifice on the cross. And lastly, God, I just want to pray for courage. For each of us as we today think about our Jesus stories and the things that you've done for us and the things that you've done in our lives. And I pray, God, that you give us the courage to step over those chicken lines and to be willing to share our story with others and to trust you to speak through us. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.